This is where the theme music would normally go. So we're singing theme music top of the show. Give it up for J-Mac on Outfielder Podcast. J-Mac's gonna bring it to you now. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Outfielder Podcast, episode 131, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, a.k.a. Founder Numero Uno. Without an intro song, I have Founder Numero Dos in the studio with me, Ben Baseball. What is going on, my man? Hello, hello. I feel like I was just trying to channel my, like, Always Sunny, how they have random stupid-ass jingles all the time. That's what I was going for. You did pretty good. You you invented the the actual theme song itself, so you get so much credit there that even whenever you have to make up for it, it's fine. It's no big deal. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, by the way, we are joined by none other than no one else because Sam has the week off. Good for him and his family. Definitely wishing him all the best luck in the world. Has anyone looked into how he's getting all this time off? Is someone going to look into this time off that he's been I think, I think uh, we're going to have to get HR on board. All right. We have an HR? Yeah. Um, it's it's my dog. Oh. Sherman? Yeah. That's where the H and the R come from. Ah. See, that's that's brilliant. That really is brilliant. I think that... Uh, Otherwise, his name is Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> this has gotten dumb already. We're like a minute and a half into this thing, and like it's ridiculous as usual. We've been off for a couple of weeks. We're glad to be back with everybody. Um, I don't know what happened to the intro song. We'll figure it out later. Um, yeah. Um, re- while we're sort of troubleshooting on the air, does the drop board work right now? It does like, not, and I will figure okay. that out in a moment. Well, in that case, it's going to be great. Hey, J-Mac, do you happen to have an extra $300 million laying around? Uh, it's in. It, the thing is, I have to move money around. It's in my savings account. I have to move it. To, um, you, know, you know how that goes. It takes a couple well, of days. Yeah, I think we're going to miss out because did you hear that Bob Dylan sold the rights to his entire catalog? I did. Uh, he sold. So do we know what the final price tag on that is? It's, it's rumored to be 300 300 million. million. I kind of yeah. feel like that's low. Well, that's the thing is, I guess, I don't know. Like, I was I was wondering about it. I guess, like, Stevie Nicks sold her back catalog a few weeks ago for $80 million. Just her solo, so, like, though, right? I don't know. It's got, it, it wouldn't be her Fleetwood Mac stuff. It would just have to be hers, specifically. So, that's the thing is, I, I both feel like it's really low, but also... I feel like that. That's just like I'm taking my money off the table and I'm going to do whatever I want for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know? I mean, Bob Dylan's got what, like, uh, like maybe five more years left. I mean, that guy. Like, I saw. I remember seeing him on Letterman's like Goodbye Show, and that was what. I mean, Letterman hasn't been on was CBS like eight years ago, probably. Yeah, it was something. No, well, it was around six because I was I saw one of the last Letterman shows, um, but. Something like that, regardless, like I remember seeing him and he looked terrible and old then, and it's got to be worse now. Uh, so he's 78 years old, and according to CelebrityNetWorth.com, reliable source, he before this was viewed to be 350 million. 350 million. So, what do you think his like day to day, like, you know, checking the mailbox is before he? You know, like, what do you think he clears a year? Like, $25 million, something like that, maybe? I mean, yeah, I think so. I, Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it would really depend on, on what you've got 
But you know what? Now that I think about it, if I if he'd have told me before this that his net worth is fifty million, mm-hmm. that also would have been plausible. So maybe yeah. that three fifty is is after it. I have no idea. Yeah, it's a very good question. It's it's very interesting though, and that's that's always a strange thing. It's non baseball related, but no, interesting nonetheless. You know, it, and I think I, I was thinking about this the other day, Ben. We hadn't even talked about this off the pod, but we we tend to hash things out on the pod. I'm I'm fine with that. Love it. We're going to continue to just keep talking about whatever we want to talk about whenever we want to talk about it. Now, we're going to be baseball thematic, I think, obviously. We're going to be covering the usual stuff that we do, but we're going to talk a little Bob Dylan if we feel like talking a little Bob Dylan. That's why. I, that's how I'm shaking things up this year. Yeah, and you may even get to hear me do terrible Bob Dylan impressions. <sighs> Your Bob Dylan impressions are my favorite and amazing every time. There was a few years back where for my birthday cake... J-Mac had it decorated with green army men yeah. and a picture of Bob Dylan yeah. on my birthday cake. <laughs> Good time. It's like five years ago. I forgot about that. I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's incredible. I love that I, when I, I got you a birthday cake. I had also forgotten about it, but then I was going back through pictures and like showing the kids, this is what you looked like when you were younger. And they're like, why is Bob Dylan on your birthday cake? And I was like, <laughs> If you truly knew me, you wouldn't need to ask me that question, daughters. It's a little bit complicated. And to be fair, they know you better than most. So, you know, it's okay. I'll, I'll give it's, them the pass here. The thing about Dylan for me, and I, I, we're not going down a huge ma- <laughs> uh, music rabbit hole here, but I just, for whatever reason, I just sort of missed him. We've talked about this before. I just sort of, you know, I love a lot of old music. Bruce Springsteen's my favorite artist of all time. And I, I... Just don't – I never fell into the Dylan thing for whatever reason. It's so sad. I, I know that I'm missing something good, but I don't – you know, it is what it is. I've heard yeah, the hits. I mean, what can you do? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive Dylan fan. Um, I also like Springsteen, so it's not like a this or that type of conversation. But, Definitely. Uh, I was thinking, do you think any major league team has a payroll less than $300 million? Well, I know it's not the Phillies, but we'll get into that here in a little bit. Well, and that's my point is, hey! What's up, everybody? I don't don't know what to do. We got the drop board working. Well, the drop board is working, so we are good to go. Um, No, it's... The reason I ask is I remember there was a there was a time like a decade ago where I think the entire Astros payroll there were like 19 players who individually were making more than their payroll. Yeah, it was something like that because there I mean they were just taking on bad contracts and taking on whatever they could to get you know draft picks and just collect and collect and collect. We'll get into that here later though. I think that's a a good tease for later on. But yeah, no, 3 or 400 million I mean that's Let's look at payrolls. Let's 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 why are we speculating? It's not what we do best we found. It's it's what we do, but you're right. It is not what we do best. So let's look at 2020, I think is a good way to uh to look at it because forecasting 2021's well, or should we look at like 2019? I think 2019 will have the most complete data set. Well, that and also just that it's not a pandemic year and yeah, you don't have those kinds of things. Um, okay, do you want to take a shot at the highest payroll in baseball in 2019? So I was going to say Yankees, but I'm actually going to pivot and say Dodgers. Okay, so both those answers are are, are perfect. One is correct. One is in the number two slot. So it's just a matter of 
A and B kind of situation here with the Dodgers at 171 million and the Yankees at 161 million. Those are so the two highest. You could have. All right. Who was the other team in the World Series this year? What do you mean? This year? Who did, who did the Dodgers beat this year? Who did the Dodgers beat this year, Ben? Dude, it's off season. I don't think about baseball. Was it the Astros? Yes. No, it wasn't. It was the Rays. <laughs> yes, it was the Rays. Okay, so if we add up the Rays and the Dodgers payroll for for this season that you're looking up, the two teams in the World Series, could we have bought Bob Dylan's back catalog? Ooh, let's see. So, oh. Um, I think the Rays were like 28th or 29th in payroll this year. Yeah, but exactly. Like the Rays are, fall like a weird spot in payroll just because they – uh, because of the way that they construct their team, so they were like even in 2019, they were number 27 at 48 million. So, so like that's the point here is if we take the two teams that played in the World Series this year, their payroll from last year, the last complete season that we have, we could field both of those teams and have plenty of money to spare instead of buying Dylan's catalog. Therefore. I am more impressed by that figure. Like when we contextually think about three hundred million, yeah, that it gets you two World Series caliber baseball teams. Do me a okay. quick, yeah. Do me a quick favor. Uh, pull out your old trusty, uh, trusty, dusty calculator, if you will. Let me get my calculator watch on board. Yes, perfect. Uh, so the I'm gonna let's start adding payrolls until we get to that number. How about that? And let's Are call we starting it from the bottom or the top. The bottom, and let's call it three hundred and fifty million. Because it's in, it's anywhere between three hundred and four hundred million for Dylan's catalog, so let's call it three hundred fifty million in the middle. Is that fair? That's fair. All right, number thirty. So this is in twenty nineteen. Remember, uh, number yeah. thirty were the Baltimore Orioles. They had forty two million. Let's just we'll use round figures. Forty two million in payroll. Okay. The next were the Marlins. They also had forty two million in payroll. Okay. Next, you let me know when we get there. We're getting pretty close. Yep, I will. Um, the Pirates had a thirty seven million in payroll. All right. The Rays had 48 million in payroll. Okay. The Indians had 52 million in payroll. Okay. The Mariners had 49 million in payroll. Okay. The Tigers had 53 million in payroll. Okay. The A's had 60 million in payroll. So that's 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 where cuz before we hit the A's we we're at 323 million. 8 teams worth of payroll. We'll go with eight and a half because yeah. we could have gotten half of half of Oakland in there. Oh, that's good. It's always how it shakes out for Oakland, isn't it? You get half of Oakland because they're the little sibling of San Francisco. I know. It's just such a shame. We it still really, love you, Oakland. It really is unbelievable amount of money. And, I mean, if you look at – you know, and, and we talked about this whenever Bryce Harper signed his contract, which, again, we'll get into later. But, I mean, you're talking about roughly the same amount of money over a 12-year stretch. But still, that is – it's pretty crazy when you think about it contextually. The average annual value actually isn't really that bad on that contract. but It's the length. It, yeah, I mean, I get it. And so, anyway. But yeah, man, that's very, very interesting. Very interesting news indeed. It's been a weird kind of offseason. And I feel like we say that every year. Um, this more so than than anything else. So let me ask you this: Is your take that the season's just going to get on rolling here in in March like it normally does, and we're just going to? One hundred percent. I think that the the biggest variable is not will baseball happen or when will it happen. The biggest variable is just going to come down to audience. 
Okay. Like, will there be will there be people in the stadiums? Will it be like the NFL where some stadiums have it, some don't? It wouldn't surprise me if I see a slightly modified travel schedule or if teams aren't a little more buttoned up in who all they can and can't take on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that baseball is coming back in its normal time frame. I think one of the things that, that I haven't really heard a lot about but I find very interesting is that there are there are so many people that watch sports and, and it, this, this doesn't really change uh, per league very much as far as this as a general idea. I mean I'm sure there's some variation here but as a general rule, people like to watch sports at the times that they're used to watching them and that's for baseball, April through uh, September. Right, yeah. Or, you know, October, really, it's really all the way to the end. But people are used to watching baseball. Then, and I think that that was, the, that was tough for baseball this year. Now, granted, there was very, very specific circumstances around getting a season started this year. But I think that viewership was down across the board, which is weirdly surprising because of, you know, the fact that a lot of people didn't have a whole lot else to do. But all that stuff seems to really matter. And people like to watch the things that they like to watch whenever they want to watch it. Well, and we beat this horse to death when it comes to how baseball could have been the first sport back and how they completely botched it. And, you know, the line forms to the left of of our complaints with Manfred. But to further prove out your hypothesis that you're that you're laying down for me, do you know if the MLB? No. Do you know if the NBA or the NHL numbers were down when they finally came back? The NBA was 44 percent down across the league. So I mean, there, there, there's the proof right there. Yeah, and there's some other things going on with that, but at the same time, like you had basketball starting at a weird or coming back at a weird time. I didn't watch a second of the finals, not one second. And I'm, I'm the biggest basketball guy there is. I love the NBA more than just about any other sport besides baseball. It's, it's one of my biggest passions in the world. It's why I started on the break. Uh, yeah, I love basketball, but I didn't watch a second of it because I, I don't watch basketball in October. I just don't do it. I won't do it. Don't have time. Don't care to watch it. It's interesting. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think the the biggest variable for baseball, aside from adjusted schedules or travel, just based on it, not like you know, I still think the season starts last weekend in March, but it wouldn't surprise me if if spring training does look radically different. Oh yeah, but I mean, is so? Let me ask you this in, in that context, and is. The notion of spring training in, in this day and age is is somewhat antiquated, right? Yes. However, I think that if we're just if we're approaching it like a Martian, yeah, it's like what are they doing? What's going on here? But for the sake of how it's been going, I think the bigger in the bigger question should be asking not what about spring training, but more what about the fact that the entire minor league system basically no longer exists. Yeah, and that is another thing that is not talked about nearly enough. I don't want to talk about that today because I want to do a real good deep dive on all the specifics of it, and it's still washing itself out, so there's a lot to, to kind of unfold with it yet, but that is absolutely something we're going to talk about because it got decimated, decimated this year, and nobody's talking about it. Nobody cares. No. Nobody's looked into this at all. I haven't looked into it like I normally would, but I will because, you know, yeah. foil helmet. I mean, I... I almost bought a Frisco Rough Riders hat this week 
And then I tapped the brakes, not because I didn't want a Frisco Rough Riders hat, but just overall, I was like, what's even going on with the minor league baseball? Who knows? Definitely. And another question that, um, that our buddy Ivan, who I think is going, who is eventually going to join us on the show here pretty soon. I think he brought, brings up this question, which is very valid. And we've talked about this a ton on this show is about whether a new CBA is coming up this year and what that's going to look like trying to negotiate through that. And that I haven't heard a thing about either. Well, and that's what's really interesting is that this time last year, that was all people were talking about with the hot stove. And by the way, CBA, that's a collective bargaining agreement. It's not the California Baseball Association. Uh, But with the collective bargaining agreement, that's set to happen at the end of next season with the current CBA expiring, I believe, in December, either November or December um, so it'll be after this upcoming season. And that could be why we've had a little bit more of a quiet off season. There's still stuff to talk about, but because we don't know what's going to happen. And we have hypothesized on this show quite frequently about the potential of a work stoppage or a strike or anything along those lines because of just how disjointed it's getting. Yeah. Um, and we don't necessarily want to just start picking scabs on this show, but there's a ton that's at stake coming up. Yeah. Well, we want to pick at some scabs anyway. Yeah, that's right. fair. Yeah, that's fair. No, I, I think that's true. I think that is something that is not going to look the way we thought it was going to look. I think that we really – I think that they're going to figure out how to get something done in the light of just the current situation, you know, and well, that helps. That that changes things significantly in, at the bargaining tables, kind of. I wouldn't say significantly, but a decent amount. I think it definitely changes the the approach of both sides in that uh, in that argument because if the nature of everyone else's jobs have been able to change and pivot you know to a large extent what does that mean for baseball and I think that baseball understands well maybe not but I would like to think that baseball understands just what a terribly awful look it will be if they don't think about the workers and the health people and, you know, the stadium people and all the different ripple effects that the CBA is going to have, not just on players in the union and the ownership, but like the downstream impact of all that, given just what a dumpster fire they've had to put up with this year. It's a very valid point. It's incredibly valid. And I think that is something that they will have to, to wrestle with. I do. I am far less hopeful. I would say, uh, than, than, I don't know what what's your how hopeful would you say on a scale of one to ten that that this will change a whole lot because while it should I don't necessarily know that it will. Well, that's that's the thing. The more I'm thinking about it, so doing a baseball podcast is not unlike exercising. And if you listen back to the first seven and a half minutes of the show, we were <laughs> definitely getting some kinks out. But the more that my baseball brain has awoken over the last nineteen minutes the more that I am less optimistic about anything positive that the league would possibly do. And I can almost guarantee you that for as much as I love this sport, they will find a way to foul it up. Yeah, it'll get fouled up, I think. But I I think ultimately it will get done. But I just think that it may be a rougher road than they realize and maybe giving it credit for just based on some of the past discretions that they've had. And I think that is going to matter. Now, how much is it going to matter when it's not the biggest thing in the focus point? I don't know that. And that is the that that part is the the biggest unknown wild card factor here. And you know, the, there are a lot of different viewpoints. And I think as we get closer to that, we're going to try to try to 
talk to some people and really try to understand some of those viewpoints because it, you know, it really is. It, it's funny, like I, I, whenever we just look at what just happened with you and I, where we were just having this conversation about it, right? We're sitting here talking about how. Um, you know, we're hopeful that these things could happen, that they're going to be thinking of these, you know, the workers and, you know, all the other, you know, the clubhouse attendants and you know, everything down to the ticket takers and back and, you know, all that stuff. It is really interesting that in a realistic world or in a real world scenario, you and I think about this similarly, that those things will be taken into consideration and addressed. But when we stopped and took a step back for a second and really thought about what we've seen and apply that to what we can project. Not good. Not good, no, Ben Baseball. The, I, I keep landing on the, the three-word expression of, ah, oh, hell no. Like, yeah. that's where I think, hey, will, will they take this into account? You know, if, if we're imparting the better angels of our society, then absolutely. But I, I think, you know, this is, it's like, yeah, I can't even say that, so never the, mind. The other side of that argument for ownership and whatnot is they're going to have taken massive, massive losses on a lot of stuff and it may bring them a little closer to being understanding at the table. That's the other side of that. I, even in that case though, like a lot of money, a lot of money. Well, That's what I'm saying is just because I had a bad year two years ago in their case, I, if I'm investment minded and I'm thinking about the long-term value of my ball club, why would I shortchange myself or take a bad deal when theoretically, even if I own the Orioles, I still own a major league club. It, there's still an underlying amount of sliminess to it that doesn't go away in any, any way, shape, or form. And At that, any level. and what we're really, so what we're really kind of kicking around here is just the sheer amount of of slime that we're going to see out of this because it's going to be some, but we, it could be oozing. It could be pretty, you know, pretty tame. I don't know. No, mad, mad props to Ivan for bringing that up. Thank you so much for and, – and, of course, if y'all uh, want to get involved, make sure to comment on, on any of the social media platforms while we're going, and we'll definitely try to bring your comment up because we love interacting with y'all. So great, great point, Ivan. Absolutely. So that's something to think about. That's something I haven't really put a ton of thought into uh, just because I don't even really know what next year is going to look like yet, and, and neither does baseball. You know, And so there's going to be a lot of – moving on uh, moving parts on the fly you're, they're pro more than likely going to take a lot of what they learned this last year and apply it which as a general rule i think probably worked okay now are we not absolutely being lied to in some way shape or form uh that is a different question and that is something that we don't really know about uh by the way ben baseball uh just stepped out so i've just been talking to myself but you know we keep it going here uh, That's pretty good. I I was trying to press a like a, a refresh button on my sports page, and I inadvertently refreshed the podcast page, and it kicked me out. So I apologize on that. Uh, we are definitely a pillar of professionalism today. So thank you all for tuning in there with that. Things are going well. The only thing that could probably top this off better is like the the intro song at the outro or something like that. But you know, we'll hey. see how it goes. We aim to please. What's next on our dance card? The biggest thing that is – so this is one of the biggest surprises. Oh, let me say, let me phrase it this way. This is one of the biggest non-surprise surprises I've seen in quite some time. And that is the seemingly non-talked about shit-canning of John Daniels for the yes. Texas Rangers. So Dude, it came out of the blue. 
So there's a, there was a Friday night news uh, dump this past Friday that the Rangers had hired new GM named Ben, please. Um, uh, Jeff Jefferson. No, I'm it was like it. Chris. Oh, this is embarrassing. Oh, Chris Young. Chris, Chris Young. Is it Chris Young? Yeah, Chris Young. Um, hired him as the general manager of the Texas Rangers, and so I, I was kind of surprised by that news. But if honestly, if you think about the realistic result of the last five years or so, I I, I don't have a problem with the move. I, I'm surprised that the move didn't come a little sooner. Um, yeah. The interesting thing about it to me, though, uh, and we'll get into the the implications of it and and you know a little bit about the new guy and all that here in a second. But like the interesting thing about it to me is though that it was, so I don't really know if there is such thing as like a news dump anymore. I mean, it's all shitty all the time. So like, is it really, you know, like, is it really, is anything really disappearing on a Friday? Um, So I don't, you know, that part of it isn't as weird, but the part that's interesting to me and that nobody seems to acknowledge or wants to talk about is the fact that, like, so they didn't technically fire John Daniels. They promoted him. Yeah. Guess what they did to Nolan Ryan last time that they wanted to squeeze somebody out of a general manager position. They promoted they him, promoted and then him. they squeezed his ass out. Well, that's what's interesting, because as I was going back through the presser, it came to Daniels released a statement saying, you know, that they're they're bringing him on as, as new, President v, of- new executive VP and general manager, and John Daniels will remain as the club's President of baseball operations. Yeah. Man, if can you imagine what's gonna happen if JD is on board for a bit and like they're both trying to go separate ways? Like who wins that argument? Well, I think the idea here is, and I could be wrong, but the from what I gather is that I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, and we let's get into the the John Daniels retrospective here in just a moment, but at the end of the day, he's managed a club for what, fifteen years, something like that? It's been a hot minute, yeah. It's been a while, and that is unheard of. I mean, GMs have five years and a leash usually, and that's about it. And so the fact that he stuck around for this long is impressive. He assembled some really good teams in 2010 and 2011, some really good teams, and he made good trades at the right time. He made a lot of bad trades, though, a lot of really bad trades, and in years that did not make sense to do so. And it always flabbergasted me that they've had so much faith in him. And, and I, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not a guy that, um, you know, I, I immediately go to firing the the GM or the coach or whatever. You know, like, look at John Farrell, you know, with the Red Sox a couple of years ago. Like, did it annoy me over some time? Yes. But, I mean, he was hired in 2013. And, you know, I gave him, you know, I basically, my leash for him was until 2017. And, and it, things were very evident it wasn't going this way, th- his way. Um, so I, I don't ever advocate for that necessarily well, but god i think it's it's kind of about trajectory because so it looks like they brought him on board october of 05 so that means his first season was 06 okay if you remember the 09 season they outperformed yep the 2010 season they made it to the world series and they lost yep. in 2011 they should have won but they lost as as everyone knows and my cholesterol still indicates sure. so Basically, to me, if like that shows trajectory, and then if you do make it to back to back World Series, how much more did you buy yourself? And I don't know that nine years is enough, <laughs> but I definitely think that that gives you a few years. It's a leash. 
It's a leash, that's for sure. There's no doubt about that. I think that's a good point, though. I mean, you you do assemble two World Series team, and that's where the argument comes down with him is because everybody seems to believe that Nolan Ryan was the only one that had anything to do with those teams, which I disagree with. I don't think that that's true. But I do think that he had a lot to do with it, and I think that you know when it came to pitching and things like that, I think Nolan Ryan had a much better eye as you know. <laughs> Uh, aside from being a pitcher himself, but just as a front office executive, I think he had a much yeah. better eye for young talent. And and I think that, you know, it's not like pitching has ever been their strong point, right? Ever. Not once. Ever. And it's one of those things where they had a guy that kind of knew how to look at it right, you know, and and also teach John Daniels a lot. But some of the bad trades were real bad. Look at the, uh, if if you have a way to check real quick, check out the Matt Garza trade. Okay. It was with the Brewers. Ryan Dempster uh, was in the exact same spot either a year before or maybe the year after. This is off straight memory, but I remember that yeah, Matt is, Garza uh, trade being bad. Five years ago, Matt Garza to the Cubs. Four. Uh, let's see. Ryan Dempster. Oh, hang on. Uh, the return for Garza and these additional pieces were five players, including Sam Fold and yep. four minor league prospects. Mm, interesting. Okay. So, I mean, they sent four prospects out the door for a pit. And what was their record that season? I don't have it in front of me. What What season was that? 2011. 2011. That was the 2011 season? Really? Oh, shit. I'm, I'm looking at the Rays Cubs. Hang oh. on. Yeah. That might Sorry. have been a, was that a three-way trade though? That could have been. He's been moved around a bit. Yeah, I'm talking about from Milwaukee to Texas. It was like 2012, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Uh so Matt Garza was traded to the Rangers. Okay, you had CJ Edwards, Mike Olt, Neil Ramirez and Justin Grimm. Boy, Mike Olt stuck around forever. He really did. He was around forever with the Cubs. Um, Justin Grimm was was decent too, but I mean he was yeah. one of their better pitching prospects, and uh, and so what season did we figure out what year that was? It was eleven. Okay. Uh, For what it's worth, Chirinos was also involved in that. Okay, so that that brought, but he didn't necessarily end up with the Rangers yet. What do you mean? No, I apologize. Yes, he came to Texas with cash. Okay. Yep. They won 96 games that year. So that was so while that's a good trade on paper, I think they flamed out in like the second round. Yeah. Well, no, that was 2011. So that was the year they went to the World Series the second time, right? Yes. Matt Garza had to have been after that. It couldn't have been in 2011. It must have been the 2012 season. It wasn't when they went to the World Series because that's when they traded for like Cliff Lee and all that stuff. Oh, it's the 2011 offseason. So oh. it was before 12. Ivan helped us out here. That was 2012. That's what I thought. I knew it was, wasn't was that, that championship year. Okay. All right. So that makes more sense. Look at Ivan helping us out even when he's not here with us. What a pro. I know. The people that listen to the podcast must be so confused whenever we make statements like that. Have you ever thought about that? Yes. Um, do you have time for another pivot? Always. So um, there was someone who uh, in a local North Texas sports market, one of the radio hosts 
had an ongoing blog based mm-hmm. on the first botched John Daniels trade, and it was who would do better, John Daniels, or if you did nothing and left a, an office fern in charge of the team. Okay, and so sounds like some they, game we'd play on this show. Yeah, so it was in. They took the the Texas Rangers and they combined their um, their war for the year post trades, and it was sixty two point one. And if John Daniels wouldn't have been there, and it was just an office plant running the team, their war would have been ninety two. Oh boy, that's this tough was, to live down. This is October of two thousand eight. So like. Any time that I think of John Daniels stuff, I think of this local thing. They did it year after year of saying, who would have done better, John Daniels or The Firm? He always seems to get himself mixed up in some really crazy shit. Yep, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. That is unbelievable, man. Uh, I'm So where do you fall on on John Daniels? Do you think he he was a good GM? (sighs) He got us to the World Series twice, man. Yeah. So two two appearances in fifteen years. The thing that the thing that that grinds my gears, and I'm headline. I'm not like thinking that Nolan Ryan is the second coming of Christ sure. or anything. Like I'm not that guy. You don't have to be one or the other. People don't realize right. that. But what I do think is that one thing that Nolan was doing for Texas that was really good was getting longevity play out of the pitchers mm-hmm. because for so long, especially in the early, in the early teens, there was, uh, you know, you got to protect your pitchers and, you know, we can't let Strasburg go more than three innings or, or whatever, you know, and I'm sure. hyperbolizing to prove a point. Yep. Whereas Ryan was saying, no, if you start the game, I want you to make it seven and a half, eight innings. Yeah. Like I don't want any of this five inning stuff. And while, I'm not saying that that's the best for your pitchers long term. I think that that is very good for your team. And so I'm wondering how much of the Rangers' success, specifically in those peak years, 9, 10, 11, I think 13, they they had a decent playoff run. I'm wondering how much of that could have been due to, you know, the pitchers outperforming. Yeah you know, their own boundaries as opposed to, to peace moving and things like that. You could also make a play for what John Daniels did for baseball long-term with the opening up of the Japanese marketplace and the acquisition of you Darvish. So that's an interesting one. And that's, that's always one you have to bring up when you talk to him because he was aggressive enough to do it. And, and I think he had the backing of the right people. It was it was someone that they scouted and and really felt strongly about for a long time, and they did their homework with you, Darvish. And they, I mean, it was never really even close. Would you like? He's talked about it before. It was never even close. They paid, I think, fifty million just for the right to negotiate with the team. Right. And I want to say his first contract was five years, sixty-six million or something ridiculous. So realistically, you got a player five years. $111 million for, at the time, a truly ace pitcher. Now, how he's done since then, you know, it, it's it's hit there it's and yawn. You don't necessarily... Yeah. It's been an interesting arc, but you can make a play for if, you know, Darvish set the mold for Otani, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. With the way that, with the, way that the, the Major League Baseball in America sort of operates within the Asia Pacific Rim market. You know what I mean? I do. I think that's a good point. I think though that they, so 
I kind of felt like, like so from an outsider's view looking in, because I find I'm intrigued by the Rangers. I don't really care about the Rangers, though, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I always keep an eye on how they're doing because they're you guys' team, and I live close to them and all that. But like, uh, you know, I'm not watching too many Rangers games every year, and. I ultimately always felt like they were chasing a lot after those 2010 and 2011 appearances. And to be clear, I don't think that they should have just burnt it all down right after that or anything like that. But there were a lot of older pieces that were clicking the right way at those times. Like Josh Hamilton is a great example of that, where they kind of caught lightning in a bottle with somebody, you know, who really, really performed well when they needed him to perform. And so they seem like they continued to try to make up that gap where where however wide that gap was i don't really know but they they seem like they always tried to make up that gap and they just never really figured out the the work i also think the other take that i have about john daniels in a, in a vacuum would be that i think he did not have the right manager i am not a ron washington manager guy and I don't think that I don't. I think that a big part of their their um, their struggle when it came to playoff success, and especially when it came right down to the end, is that they had a manager that was way too indecisive and wouldn't make up his mind. I remember watching those World Series specifically and watching him fly through all of his pitchers in the bullpen, and I understand the the natural reaction and the notion to want to get another guy that you know is going to shut this thing down and keep on going. But you have to be able to think about bigger term than that. And the the biggest argument I can make for this, because everybody thinks I'm crazy about this take, everybody thinks that Ron Washington should have gotten a second shot. Why didn't Ron Washington get a second shot anywhere else? Because he wasn't suited to be a major league manager. And I think that was big part of what got in their way. I think he was a big room guy. And I think that matters whenever you're trying to manage a lot of personalities, a lot of older guys that kind of know what to do and to go in there and give them the tools to go out there and do what they do. I think he was really, really good at that, but I don't think he was good at a whole lot else. And I feel like that was a misstep by him that no one seems to really, maybe I'm, I'm off base with that, but I don't think that he was that impressive. I mean, it's interesting. It's, the thing that, that we don't necessarily have the luxury of doing is going back and saying, okay, you know, whenever they signed Wash, was it eight, nine, somewhere in there? Yeah. Who else was available? Sure. Who would have potentially got them better? You know, if, for example, Madden was available at that point, you know, how would he have done versus how would. So it's really hard to say. Yeah. I mean, the foresight's always, you know. I don't necessarily fault Wash for the 11 loss necessarily i think that there was 16 things that went wrong and if any one of them hadn't you know i'd be lavishing my ring yeah you know no i do i i I, and i don't even know if i necessarily mean to blame wash for it but i don't think that he helped and i i think that is the part that that people don't seem to agree with necessarily is that when it really, really mattered, when it came down to making big decisions at the right times, he sort of panicked a little bit. And, hey, man, I'm not faulting him for that. I understand. I would, too. You know, know, but there's always – it's always easy to say that when you look back on it, right? I think – I think what it boils down to is when you trust your guys and you're a good clubhouse person – 
I don't know about always, but you're more likely to to be willing to give someone an extra chance, to be willing to give someone, you know, hey, yeah, you know, have another chance to strike this guy out. Like, I believe yeah. in you. I, I want you to see my belief in you yeah. and how that sort of manifests itself. And I could see where that, on the whole, might not have been the best overall for the team. Now, as far as how that translates to manager war or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wish we could... I wish we could say, but that would be yeah. a thought experiment for another day. I will be really interested in us um, when Sam comes back getting his take because yeah. I feel like you and him are not on the same page when it comes to Ron Washington. No, I think he probably I, – I don't want to speak for him, so I'm not de- definitely not doing that. Uh, but I've known him a long time. I think I kind of know how his mind generally works until he you know, throws a curveball at us. But uh, I really think that he's probably somewhere in the middle of that. Uh, on yeah. both sides of that where I don't think I don't uh, to your point I don't know what you would have done differently at that point in time right but knowing that the right guy like I, I just can't think about how he broke Nefty Feliz you know he the, ruined that guy <laughs> unfortunately it's so sad but it, but it, here's the thing I I mean I went to that guy's first career start as a pitcher like yeah. I was in the audience that day I don't I don't know how much of that was wash breaking Feliz versus the yips post the 2011 game six. Yeah, but a good manager knows what to say in those situations, and that that that's the part that I don't think you can replicate. How many managers in the history of baseball have had the opportunity to talk to the guy who, as a pitcher? potentially lost your world series in a relief position and then try to set them up to transition to starter. Like that's a short list. It's not long. And that's the other thing that they seem to want to do a lot was make guys starters that were very, very clearly not starters. They did that. Maybe that was a Nolan thing. Maybe I'm way off. Maybe that was a Nolan thing. I don't know. Yeah. That, that got more pronounced though. That, that I think that that idea was there kind of what you were saying before, but I think that got pronounced more and more as Nolan had moved on. Um, I, I just, what was that guy's name? Uh, he, so I don't re- really remember a ton of it. I think his name was Robbie something, but he was a, he was a starting pitcher that they had. He, he ended up being kind of a heavy set dude. He put on like a ton of weight, um, towards the end of his Texas career, but he had like the shaved head with like the Mohawk. A was bit. it Robbie Ross? Robbie Ross. Maybe that's who I'm thinking of, uh, who, who pitched for the Red Sox as well. Good guy. Uh, but he was kind of one of those guys that was probably a mid-reliever guy who was never really a starter. And I don't know that that didn't butcher his career. So, yeah, I don't know. Robbie Ross, uh, Texas Rangers, and Boston Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, so, anyway, it's an interesting conversation. I don't I don't know. I, I understand why they made this move. I think it was probably the right move to make. It's time. Yeah. It's time for a new fresh mind. Um, new guy's going to come in there. Chris Young, he says his name is. Um, I think it was between a couple of people. One of those was Michael Young, but I don't think that he's ready for something like that. Um, Chris Young, very smart guy, Princeton baseball guy, uh, spent a lot of time with the Padres. Um, you know, pretty pretty well, up-and-coming candidate. I know that Jimmy's pissed because they were, the Mets were looking at hiring him uh, as well, their GM. That's what I read is that it was, in that case, it wasn't that he wasn't ready to – to manage or anything it was that uh it was a city fit thing because yeah. i guess his family's from, from around here and stuff yeah. so 
Sorry, sorry, Jimmy, your, your loss is hopefully our gain. We will have to see on that one for sure. He's a classless charlatan. Thank you, Sam. I would agree with that. Classless well said. All right. So last story of the, the day here. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this. So last week we were all, so we were planning to record. We were off and uh, kind of unexpectedly at the last second. And so I started thinking about some of the teams uh, in, in Major League Baseball and really where they are in relation to getting better, getting worse. Like, where are we? Like, where are the Orioles right now? You know, all that. So what I think I'm going to do is I think as we go through the offseason here, I'm going to try to focus on some of those individual teams that are maybe in rebuilding mode or, you know, are coming out of that and what we have to look forward to. I think that's worth talking about. So I'm going to get into that, but I decided to pick one of the most interesting ones that I really didn't know a ton about where we're where things are, and that is with the Philadelphia Phillies. Ah, uh. so NL East team who's projected to be very good every every the last few years. But let me ask you this, Ben: When do you think the last time the Phillies had a winning season, a winning season year? Uh, 2016. Longer than that. Keep going. 2011. 2011. Oh, my God. That was just a random guess. Goodness gracious. 2011. Pull up uh, baseball reference real quick, if you will. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about what their their uh, record was in 2011. All right. So the 2011 Phillies, huh? The 2011 Phillies. All right. I got it. All right. So talk to me about their record. Uh, they were 102 and 60. They finished first in the National League East. They lost the National League Divisional Series to the Cardinals, who went on to win the World Series that year. Correct. They had on their staff the top 12 players was Cliff Lee. They had Roy Halladay, Cole Hamels, Shane Victorino, Chase Utley, uh, Vance Worley, Carlos Ruiz, Jimmy Rollins, Hunter Pence, Ryan Madsen. And Kyle Kendrick, but he was young on it. This Dude, was a really I forgot good team. So much about when their pitching was staffed like that, that it, they had Lee, Halliday, and Hamels all on the same lineup. There was a time where I would have cut off my left pinky to have Cole Hamels in Boston. Yeah. Ask you probably should have. Yeah, probably. You <laughs> should ask Ivan. Probably would have went better than it would would have in Texas for him. I don't know. That's another one of those things, though, that J.D. didn't need to make that trade. Never made sense to make that trade. Worked out great for Philly, but not great for him. Okay, so after the 2011 season, the Phillies went 81-81. and 81. Okay. Okay. Cole Hamels well, was... Let's, I, I do, do want to jump in because real quick, I, I remember vaguely whenever they had that sort of ace pitching staff that they had for a bit. Yeah. So for context, they had won the World Series in eight. Mm -hmm. They had lost the World Series in nine. They had lost the NLCS in 10. And so 2011 was their last year with a winning record. Okay. All right. Just setting some context here. That's pretty tough. Yeah. That's pretty tough. So they've been in this rebuild mode since then. And... So we talked about this a little bit just a few minutes ago, but a GM usually gets around five years with a yeah. leash. And then, then, you know, if varied success happens, you know, a lot of times, and again, there's there's exceptions to all of this. There are GMs that have been fired in a week into the season. There, I mean, it's it's all out there. But as a general rule, 
you got to give these guys some time to build something. Like that's what that's what you're trying to do. And typically, you're in either one camp or the other. You're in this camp of we've got to just burn it all down and and rebuild for the future and start collecting prospects, collect picks, get guys out of here that we need to get out of here. Um, you know, and just collect as much as we can. And you know, while I'm not the biggest proponent of trading known talent for prospective talent, when it when it comes to a collective, you got to just burn it down. Like there's no real way to get around that otherwise you're going to spend forever trying to piece it all together and you're never going to get there. You're just yeah. never going to get there. And so the interesting thing about that rebuild time though is that if you jump between general managers, so in 2012, 2013, the Phillies hired Ruben Amaro Jr. to be their GM. Ruben Amaro Jr. was the first base coach for the Red Sox Okay, at that time. It's a bit of a leap. And guess what he did post-Phillies? He went back to being the first base coach of the Red Sox. Okay. So, first of all, love the idea of just pulling baseball uh, bench uh, uh, base coaches to run baseball clubs. Love that yeah. plan. We're only like two or three moves away. Dude, I'm telling you, we're getting closer and closer every show. Every every episode counts here. Okay, and so that that was an, an unmitigated disaster, and he was someone that didn't really understand that it was time to burn it down. And that's the hardest part about it, and I will give... I will give John Daniels a little bit of credit in that he never truly believed that they were only not a few moves away because he's seen that he had seen that magic work before. Again, this isn't really about John Daniels, but it's kind of in reference to what we were talking about. It's it's recognizing when it's time, right? Right. Um, the thing is, over that time frame, you're collecting these things about what you're doing in the background. You're trying to get rid of all, you know, your Cole Hamels is a great example of someone that had a lot of value that could return them picks and some players. And so they did it, pulled the trigger whenever it, it was most advantageous for them. And, you know, you, you continue to rebuild that way. You trade out all these old guys. You give it some time. You're, you, you suck, you know, kind of reserved to the fact that you're going to have a couple of years of bad baseball. But the, the theory is that you've... Over that time, you'll have collected enough bad picks. You'll your team will be bad enough that you will eventually start replenishing the system, and you know continue to rebuild. And the the good teams in baseball aren't even really that great at this because it's a balancing act, right? And what you end up having a lot of times is you have GMs that are in two camps. You have a GM that is one hundred percent wanting to build the farm system and wanting to build everything and wanting to, you know, be the architect that put all these things together. And then you have the guys like Dave Dombrowski who come in there and sell all those parts off to get the players they need to put veterans on a team to make it, you know, put it over the hump. Look at the 2018 Red Sox. Great example of that. Yeah. Um, the problem with that is, though, that if you don't, if you start off with a general manager who doesn't really know what they're doing, and then on top of that, you hire someone else who also doesn't really know what they're doing, you start to really limit that window because what ends up happening is you have all these, uh, you know, you're kind of at this point where you're trying to add stars to the team, right? And you have all these expensive veteran stars that have been added and are now leaving. Because you haven't really gotten the pieces to back them up either. So in this situation, JT Realmuto, Jake Arietta, uh, Dave Robertson, uh, Jan Segura, all of these contracts have been an absolute waste of money for the Phillies. Yeah. And they're chasing their tail over and over again. And what the interesting thing is, there's not exactly one thing that can doom a rebuild, but it's this weird 
concoction of all these these things that can go wrong. And it's kind of what we were talking about where all the right things kind of happened, where, you know, those things kind of fell into place the right way and, you know, success was granted that way. Well, it's kind of the same way when you're going down too. And it's the same concept of wanting to, you know, that struggle between wanting to build and wanting to, to save, you know, or, or wanting to build and wanting to be per, uh, competitive now. Right. So, so, okay, go ahead. Let me ask this. Because for those that have listened to this pod or pay attention to baseball in general, uh, the name Bryce Harper is bound to be tied to this conversation. We'll get into that in a second. Okay. So the Phillies still have the opportunity to be good this year. Yes. Yes. I'll tell you this. Vegas has them at 76 wins. Oh, okay. So I'm not saying that's always accurate because it's definitely not. But that's kind of what betters think of that. And I always think where people are willing to put their money is a kind of a good indicator of of what people really think. Um, The Phillies may still be good, but they no longer have young... Young, uh, you know, pitchers and hitters. Their league, av- they're they're all well over the league average of of uh, age in the league, and they no longer have cheap payroll. They don't have, longer have rich like prospects in a system, and they're clearly not contenders. And so you have this like weird thing where you're like in this this middle thing, and again, you don't necessarily have to tear it all the way down. But the good teams that build that way tend to have more success over a sustained period of time. And so the Phillies are in this weird thing where their division is competitive. Yep. They've got the one of the highest paid players on their roster in Bryce Harper. And they're kind of cooked, man. They don't have any prospects. They don't have any like they don't really have anything to look forward to in the future. And it's, it's this weird combination of you went out and signed these bad contracts, which happens. They definitely happen, but you go out and sign all these bad contracts and then everyone's leaving as well. And so it's like, well, we just did all this for not. And we just spent $450 million on a play over the next 12 years where, I mean, it's going to take them at least a couple more years, three, four more years to build this thing back up. And what, I mean, Bryce Harper's just going to sit there in that meantime. It's Mike Trout yeah. all over again. Right, and which is another example of Major League not handling their players overall correctly and letting them market themselves and truly be superstars. Because I'm sure if I asked my mom who's Bryce Harper, she'd have no idea. She'd right. Like, is that someone you went to high school with? Exactly. And and, and that's, that's kind of the point. Like, you have Bryce Harper, who's one of the 25 best hitters in baseball. You have Zach Wheeler, who just got down-ballot Cy Young votes in the first— uh, year there. JT Realmuto, who's one of the best catchers in baseball for the past two seasons. DD Gregorius, who had the bounce back season that the Phillies were looking for when they traded for him from the Yankees. Great pieces that are going nowhere because they have no pitching and they have no prospects in order to get that pitching that they need. It's unbelievable. Well, that's what I wanted to ask about because at the helm, Joe Girardi notable Yankees manager who led them to World Series in 2009. Do you think that there's anyone who could run it any better? Or do you think that ownership looks like GM is VPN GM is Matt Clintack? Yes. I mean, do you think that Matt has Joe's hands tied? Yes. 
I do because in that, so I would I would venture to say, and I don't know this to be true because I've never, you know, managed a major league baseball club in any capacity. But yet, well, a full, true, uh, my fantasy baseball team, but I don't think that counts. Um, I don't really know of a sport where the GM works so independently of the manager. Now it's best. The, I I would say that it's best case that they work together to be on the same page as far as what's being constructed, but that's not always how it works in baseball, right? Uh, and, and rightfully so, because and, and there are interesting guardrails there too. Um, but there's also the 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 part part that we haven't really talked about. Whenever you talk about who's to blame in a rebuild uh, that's failed, is prospects not developing all the way. Yeah, so and and we could dive more in this when we talk about the minors here in, in the next couple of weeks. But I mean, whose fault is that? So to me, that's Gabe Kapler's fault. <laughs> okay, I love I mean, it. Let's well, okay, Cap. Well, I should say it this way: he's a he's one of the managers that did not help the situation. Is that fair? Right. More fair. Yes. So Kapler uh, ran the Phillies in eighteen and nineteen. In 18, they were 80 and 82, and in 19, they were an even 500, 81 and 81. Pretty brutal, right? Not ideal. It's not good, and so there's a, there's a development issue there too, and and that's that's hard to rectify, and we can go in, you know, we don't have enough time to, to really go into the ins and outs of the construction of these teams and why it matters to have the best coaches in the best places and, and really be actively looking at what works and doesn't work. But really when it comes down to it, whenever you're not developing your guys, it doesn't matter what you do or how much money you spend or what, like the moves you make. I mean, uh, so here's something I know that Sam will back me up on that Jake Arietta contract was the worst contract they could have signed at that point in time for a pitcher. Yeah. War, I haven't seen Jake Arietta's name anywhere in baseball in the last three years. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. Not since he was with the Cubs. He signed a three-year, $75 million contract with the Phillies, which was $75 million guaranteed. And how many games did he pitch last year? Uh, zero? Let me see. Yeah, it's not good. I'll tell you that. Uh, Last year he pitched nine games. Four nine four. games. Well, so in con- context, how many did Kershaw? Let me look and see how many Kershaw pitched. I think Kershaw did like twelve or fifteen. Yeah, and I mean those were also run all the way to the World Series. So that, I mean that's about right. But still, his his Not ERA good. was five oh eight. His WAR last season was point eight. That's your guy. That's supposed to be your Chris Sale. That's supposed to be your ace of the staff. Not good with a five ERA. No. I I look at um there's a really interesting th- uh stat when you look at their uh the farm systems in general. And if you look at the farm systems uh as far as homegrown talent specifically, only homegrown talent, and you look at their war, just the you know, the aggregate of the homegrown talent's war. No. I want to read you um, how they finished each year, okay, over the next couple, uh, over Perfect. from 2012 to 2017. Let's do that. Ranked 29th at the time, 28th in war since in 2012, okay? 29th at the time in baseball, 28th 
since then. In 2013, ranked 24th, 23rd since then, ranked 25th, 25th since then, ranked 20th, 11th since then, ranked 4th, 24th since then, and ranked 5th, 19 since then. Less than ideal. Vastly, vastly underperformed. So not only did you draft the wrong guys, but you didn't develop those guys into the talent that they could be. It's arguable if you look at their their 10 best prospects of all time, you won't recognize a single name on that list. It's very possible. It's brutal, man. It's absolutely brutal for Philly fans. And I feel bad because it's one of the – well, I don't feel that bad. But I, I, yeah, I was going to say, do you know? Like, no. don't say you feel bad. No, because, I mean, there is also the na- the nature of the fluctuation of the game. I mean, that that's not to be discounted. That's not to say that, you know, every you know every wrong mood, move definitely accentuated each of the previous wrong moves. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that was always the wrong move because you only have the data that you have at the time in front of you. Yeah. So, to be fair, but it is – astounding how bad they've been and how little prospect they have going forward. And I feel for, well, I don't really feel for Bryce Harper because this is something, this is, that's a question you should have asked. Yeah. I think they made good steps by hiring Joe Girardi. I don't know how, how much hand he's going to have there. Well, and the more I was looking at Girardi's, Girardi's record, and I'll leave you at this. He, he won the world series in 2009 with the Yankees. But that's the same Yankees team that Joe Torre got to win six World Series. Correct. So it almost feels like nothing against Barry Switzer, but all he did was take Show Jimmy up. Johnson's Cowboy teams back to the Super Bowl. Correct. And Joe Girardi, I'm sure, is a great guy, but yeah. maybe that's what he did too. Well, we'll never know, will we? You know what we will know? If you like what you're hearing, make sure to check us out at sensiblyloud.com. That's right. That's your home, your one-stop shop for all things Sensibly Loud related. Plus, we are all over your social media pages. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We're even on the good old Twitter. You can watch these shows live on Facebook or on YouTube, and we are happy to interact with you. Big props to J-Mac for producing this and every other episode. We miss you, Sam. Come back to us soon. We're waiting here with open arms. J-Mac? We would like to thank everyone for tuning in for episode 131 of the Outfielder Podcast. We'd like to thank all of our fans, Sensibly Loud Media, our sponsors, and those with a sharp eye to keep the runners close. Grounds crew, please keep patrolling that outfield. Big ups to Kevin Towers. Don't text and drive. We'll see you right back here next time on the Outfielder Podcast. Get out, get out, get out, get out.